Hey, church, it's good to see you. Thanks for being here and for worshiping with us this morning. If you're here online, thanks for being with us. Today, I've got a passage for you, and um, it's quite a passage. And of course, I want to treat it with great care because if I don't, there's a potential to hurt you with it, and I don't want that. I want you to profit by it, and so we got to look at this passage very carefully together. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, hopefully you receive the handout on your way in here that has the passage printed for you so you can follow along with us. This passage we're going to be looking at today is part of a larger series. And so if you're just walking in here today, just know that we've been walking through a study on a little talk that Jesus gave on a hillside um, near the Sea of Galilee. This talk that Jesus gave is famously called uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And no sermon throughout All history has been more impactful than this sermon, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And so what we're doing is we're just taking our time and we're working our way through it so we can benefit by it as well. Now, if you were here this last week, you know that um, Jesus, in in the passage we looked at last week, Jesus addresses two kind of important issues. First of all, he addresses the issue of Scripture. Um, the, the, one of the challenges was when Jesus was challenging the Pharisees, which were the religious leaders of the day, some people could misinterpret that as he's, um, he's challenging the, the Scriptures itself because the Pharisees were super devoted to following all the laws of the Scripture. But Jesus made it very clear that um, he is not, uh, he may be against the Pharisees and their hypocrisy, but he's not against the Old Testament. He's not against the Word of God. In fact, he has a very high view of God's Word, and he wants us to be highly responsive to his Word. So that's the first thing that, that you need to understand in terms of how this passage continues to flow from what we talked about last week. The second thing that's important for you to know is that Jesus not only said that we need to be highly responsive to God's Word, But he also said to the crowd of people who were listening to him that day that we also need to have a righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees. Now, when Jesus said that, you could have heard an audible groan in the crowd on that day. They would have been like, oh, and their heads would have sunk because that was just an unthinkable statement. How could you have a righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees? They were so, so focused on all the laws and doing all these things. And so it just felt like an insurmountable um, uh, command. And yet Jesus doesn't stop there. In fact, he continues to help us understand what he means by taking six of the great commandments in Scripture, Old Testament commands, and he takes them and he begins to apply them so that, so that we can understand what he means by what he's saying. And what Jesus ultimately wants us to understand is that he wants us to, to be, be so responsive to God's word that we come to it not as an, a checklist of external things that we need to do, but that we come to God's word and say, God, will you penetrate my heart? That he's not looking for a surface action. He's looking for a heart transformation that would change our hearts from the inside out. And so last week, Jesus talked about the, this, the command, you shall not murder. We're like, okay, great. That's, that's good. I haven't done that one recently. But then, but then Jesus takes it a step further and says, hey, you know, if you're angry... You're murdering them in your heart, essentially. So he takes it deeper. He goes from the external to something far deeper. And he talks about managing anger and dealing with reconciliation. 
And then today, we're going to look at a passage where Jesus takes a, a look at another Old Testament command uh, about uh, uh, being faithful. And he uses three different scenarios, three different um, illustrations to help us understand how we need to walk faithfully. And in so doing, it helps us really in some ways recognize in our own hearts and our own lives that we may not be as faithful as we think we are. And so it's important for us to pay attention to what Jesus says and to respond to it together. So here's what we're going to do. We're going we're to look at that passage together. I want to invite you to stand um, for the reading of Scripture, and then we'll go back and I'll detail it um, with you together, verse by verse. This is what he says in Matthew 5, 27 through 37. But you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need is to say, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Okay, go ahead and have a seat. Now I'll just mention this before we look at the passage. When I teach, you may have noticed that I have us stand for the reading of Scripture. Um, now I know that that has been a, a practice that was practice here previous to me. Um, but I have continued that practice, and there's a couple of reasons why I've continued the practice for us to stand for the reading of Scripture. The first one is this. Um, if you fall asleep during my intro, <laughs> it's a great way to wake you back up. <laughs> but more than that, it really does fit with my teaching style. So my teaching style, I like to look at the whole passage, and then you'll notice that I like to go back and look at it verse by verse. And that's a style that works for me. But you know what? There's lots of different, great Bible teachers who have different styles of teaching the Word. And, and that's okay. In fact, we celebrate that. We, I love the fact that at South Hills Church, what we're focused on is that we teach God's Word faithfully, that we teach God's Word practically, and that it's okay to have creativity in how you deliver a sermon or a message. Because that, that, that's all right. And everyone has a different style. In fact, for some people, their style in teaching through the scripture is to have you discover it over time. And so by reading it all up front at the beginning, that kind of takes away from the discovery. So it's okay at times, and I may do that as well, where I say, we're just going to discover the passage as we go along. So it'll be a different type, kind of experience. And that's all right. Different teachers teach different ways. In fact, you know, Chuck Swindoll has a style of teaching, and it's great. 
Charles Stanley has a, a style of teaching, and it's great. Andy Stanley has a style of teaching that's great. If you don't know who these guys are, how about Phil Paulson has a style of teaching, <laughs> and it's great. Uh, Paul Edwards has a style of teaching, and it's great. They're being faithful to God's word. They're wanting to apply it, and there's creativity in how it's delivered, and that's the main thing. And so for me, when we stand for Scripture, it's also just a reminder for me that um, I, we, that God's word stands above my words. That's part of it too. That his word stands above my voice and his word stands above the voices of our culture. Amen. And so it's important for us to just remember that sometimes. And by standing, it just simply also says, God, we stand under your authority. Of course, we want to stand to honor God's word, but much more than that, we stand because we say, God, we stand under your authority. We submit to your word. Your voice is greater than my voice, the voices of culture. We submit ourselves to that. So whether we sit or we stand, we submit ourselves to God's word. We listen to it, and we're highly responsive. That's what, what Jesus is teaching us to do. He says, don't get caught up with a bunch of externals when I really want to get to your heart, and I want to go internal. So every time we come to God's word, we say, God, speak to us. Your word above our word. Your word above culture's word. We want to respond to you. So that's why it's important that we, we take that time. And in some ways, it's just a, a helpful reminder of where we stand in submitting to God's word together. Now, the passage that we're looking at today, where I just read, Jesus gives three different scenarios of walking faithfully. Last week, he talked about dealing with anger. This week, he's talking about faithfulness. And so the first one, if you're a note taker, you can grab a pen or a pencil if you want to write kind of the first blank there in your notes is this, that Jesus is calling us to be faithful in our morals. Faithful in our morals. He says this in verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Now, that first line, you have heard that it was said. This is important because he's saying you've heard that it was said um, because most of his listeners did not know how to read. So after captivity, captivity in Babylon, they'd lost the people of, of Israel. The Jewish people had lost their ability to read the Hebrew language. And so they relied upon the, the rabbis and the teachers to teach them. So they were listening to God's word, not you have read He's saying, you have heard it said. And that's a distinction. Sometimes, of course, as you're listening, you're not quite sure, is that the rabbi's words or is that the scripture? And so Jesus makes it clear, you've made it, you've heard. And then he states this, the, the command, you shall not commit adultery. So this is the command, you shall not commit adultery. Um, and you look at that and he's like, he's being very straightforward. It makes sense. And for most of us, we say, yes, we understand this law, this command. But then Jesus says in verse 28, he says this, but I tell you. Now, this is important. Go ahead and go back to the but I tell you. I want to highlight that. This is important. <laughs> Jesus just said, here's what God's word says. And then he stops and he says, but I tell you. Now, when Jesus was delivering the message on the hillside, when everyone heard him say, but I tell you, there would have been a gasp like this. <gasps> they would have sucked the wig right off the person's head in front of them. I mean, it just would have been like a, I can't believe he just said that. You know, it would have been so shocking because no rabbi would ever say, yeah, here's what God says. But now listen to me. Skip that part. Let me tell you. And so either he's very arrogant or he is God himself. And that's the whole point, that Jesus is God. 
He's saying, listen, you've heard it said in the Old Testament, the great command, but here, let me tell you what I had in mind when I wrote that command. So he's beginning to detail and expand it for us. He is God, and he has that authority. So he begins to say, but I tell you, let's go on. What does he say? That anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Ugh, bummer, right? I mean, when you read this passage, this part, you're like, whoa, Jesus, this is pretty serious. And if it doesn't make you just kind of like tense up a little bit, you're not really paying attention to the passage because Jesus is taking it uh, uh, to another level. He's going beyond an external to now the internal. He's going to our heart. He's going to the attitude of our heart, and he's going deep with it. And this this is a challenge. And he says, if anyone looks at a woman lustfully, so look, that idea look is not just seeing somebody, but it's staring at somebody. So of course, all of us, we're made by God to be attracted to other people. In fact, even sexually attracted to other people. But the point here is staring. It's looking. It's, it's focusing there. And this is where he's getting to, again, the heart and the mind. He's going um, a, a further in terms of this application. And so we feel that together. Now, as part of this verse here, I do want to point out this, that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with his heart. The focus here, as you'll notice, is on particularly men. And so, um, and in fact, it's not just this portion, but throughout this, this whole section, the focus is on men. Um, but I will say this, to put it kind of a different way, it's not just that he's focused on men, but he's also focused on protecting women. That's what he's focused on. And we need to hear that. And of course, as he's talking to men, we need to recognize he's, he's really trying to, his heart is to protect women in, in these scenarios, But at the same time, we have to understand it doesn't mean that a woman can't apply this to their life as well. That a woman, that it's not, uh, it's it's certainly possible that a woman can look lustfully on someone just as much as a man. So again, the application is both, but Jesus is focusing on men, and part of that is because he wants to protect women. So he says, do not look lustfully at at, a, at a, a woman, and then you've committed adultery in, her, in your heart. And so this is what he's saying. Now, this is the point, this is the time in um, the, the portion of this, uh, my talk, where I start to talk about where, um, you know, sexual immorality is a challenge in our culture. But my guess is you already figured that out, didn't you? It's not, a, it's not a, something that you've just like, well, there's, we have kind of our culture has a sensuality. You know, we kind of focus on that. That's not new to you. It's not like you just recently, it just, you know, at some point for any, any one of us, it's not like it just dawned on you that, hey, if, if people are selling me um, uh, soap, why don't they just tell me that it makes me clean? But instead they're saying it makes me sexy, Right? So there's a, there's a sensuality issue when we see it promoted, we see it publicized. I mean, of course, guys, you know, who, who haven't of us, you know, you know, after you wash your hair, who hasn't had a supermodel just rush to feel your hair after you've washed it, right? I mean, that's normal, right? Of course, that's, that's what we see, that's what's promoted, that's kind of all over the place. And we're, we live in a culture where there's, there's so much... Um, 
um, sensuality that's, that's pushed on us. We can't get, avoid it, whether it's through social media or through um, television, movies, music, advertisements. And everyone knows, hey, if I can add some sensuality to things, it'll cause you to stop and stare a little longer. And that, whether they were selling something or they want to, be, want, want to promote something, that's, that's the concept. And so you, you know it, we, 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 you recognize it. The question is, well, what's the solution to it? If there's, there is these issues of sensuality and, and how I do with, deal with it in my heart and in my mind, what, what's, the, what's the solution? And this is where Jesus goes in the next verse. He says, well, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Okay, Jesus, that seems a little extreme. Do you have any other ideas for how to respond? What other solutions do you have for us? Next verse. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Okay, so Jesus is talking in extreme language here. Now, his recommendation is severe surgery. But of course, it's important for us to know he's talking in hyperbole here, right? He's not talking literally, but I want you to understand what Jesus is getting at. He's saying, hey, guess what? You know, this whole adultery thing, it's an issue not just uh, from an act, but it's a, it's a part of your heart. I want you to, to recognize it's deeper than that. But not only that, that it's a heart and mind issue, he's saying it needs to be dealt with severely and urgently. That's what he's getting at here. When he's talking about gouging out eyes and cutting off limbs, he's saying deal with it aggressively, ruthlessly. And don't just say, well, I'll get to it someday. He's saying, no, now. Now I want to protect your heart. I want you to have maximum freedom. I don't want you to have, you know, all parts of your body, but, but experiencing hell, it's better to lose one part of your body and not experience hell because there's pain there, but there's much better than the destruction and the devastation that comes from saying, I'm giving myself over to sensuality. I'm giving myself over my heart to adultery in that, in that setting. So Jesus is saying it's an issue of the heart and mind. We need to deal with it severely. We need to deal with it urgently. So how do we do that? Well, he's talking about gouging out your eyes. Now, again, he's not talking about literally gouging out your eyes because you can take out one eye, but you still got the other. And if you take out both eyes, you still got what's behind your eyes. So that's not the issue. He is saying, but let's talk about what is it that's, that's, that's in your path, avenues for you that's going in through your eyes, into your mind, that's causing this devastation, this destruction, for you to, to kind of have this lust, these lustful things. And so he's saying, take it seriously. And for some of you, that means, you know what? There's certain things I can't look at. And there's certain restrictions that I need to have. In my life, guess what? I have restrictions on my phone. I have certain restrictions and certain things that I don't have on my phone. I have certain restrictions on my phone, and that actually goes for all of my electronic devices. Because for me, I'd rather have the pain and embarrassment of not being able to access certain things or do certain things and, 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 and kind of deal with that pain than the other side of the pain. So there's just moments and there's times we say, I need to cut this out because it is not helpful for me at all. And deal with that pain and deal with it swiftly. Otherwise, it can be more damaging and hurtful to you and the relationships around you. So that's the eyes. Then he says hands. So the hands is, it's about what we do and where we go. And for some people, it just means, hey, there's certain places I can't go. And there's certain things that I can't do. 
And for some people, this merely means you need to take drastic steps. I have talked to guys before who have said, you know what? On my commute to work, I have had to reroute the direction I go. And I have to take a much further and much less convenient route to work because on my, my most direct route, there are certain things that cause me to stumble in my mind, in my eyes, and in my heart. And so I just need to go around it. And so they've taken the pain to say, I'm going to go around, but it keeps them from stumbling in an area where they say, this is, there's something there on that route that's been a problem for me. That's, a, that's a, taking a, 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 a drastic step. For some people, it's saying, hey, you know what? My, my life on the road um, has led me down a bad road. And so I need to change jobs or change careers. This work environment, this setting, these relationships here, it has been hard for me and it's a challenge. And so you know what? I need to ask for a transfer or I need to figure some things out because I want to take very seriously what Jesus is saying. Because he's saying, listen, it's rather better to experience that little pain, that, sur- that surgery, than to have your whole body be, be damaged in the process. And so this is what he's saying. So that, that, and that's, that's the point that he's making. It's important for us to hear. Now, I will say this. At the same time I say all this, you need to hear that willpower alone is not going to do it. I need to be clear about that. We need to be responsive and say, God, how can I respond? But listen, willpower alone is not going to do it. Well, then there's the next one that I want you to see. If you want to fill in the blank before the next part of the passage, it's this. Not only to be faithful in our morals, we'll be faithful in our marriage. Faithful in our marriage. Um, Notice what it says in verse 31. It says this. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. So this is a clear enough statement from the Old Testament again that you can read about it in Deuteronomy chapter 24. But here, what we need to say, understand is that divorce in the Old Testament was permitted. Now, it was not encouraged, it was not commanded, but it was permitted, okay? And there's, there's, it's important to understand that it was permitted. Now, what's not permitted here um, is that someone who is getting a divorce doesn't receive a certificate of divorce. So the command is not be divorced. The command is um, what you need to do if you are divorced is to give a certificate of divorce. And you're asking the question, well, why is this here? Again, what's, what's going on here is Jesus in God's heart to protect women. God wants to protect women. The command is you need to give a certificate of divorce because before this time, a guy could divorce his wife um, and then take off, and um, then, you know, if the, if the, the, the wife, the, the ex-wife, I guess, continued on in the, in the household and built the estate, the husband, the ex-husband could come back and say, you know what, I'm going to, you were once my wife, I'm going to reclaim you as my wife, and I'm going to take all the estate and all the household and all the stuff that you've done, all the stuff that you've earned, I'm going to take it back, and now it's going to be mine again. So he's just simply saying, it's, all, it, it's, it's now mine. And in fact, even back down to the whole mistreatment of, of the spouse all over again. And so God says, this isn't good. He wants to protect the women. So he says, listen, guys, if you're, if you're going to divorce, you need to give a certificate of divorce, which means you're not going back, that you can't take advantage of um, the, the, your former spouse. And so that's why this is given now. The, the challenge, of course, with this, and, and he's talking particularly towards um, men here, and 
And the reason why he's talking to men here especially is because um, men were uh, divorcing their wives at a, uh, a, just a high rate. They were, they were divorcing their wife. Now, wives, and the, the challenge with that is for the men who were divorcing their spouses, it became um, a really costly endeavor. It became a costly endeavor. And so uh, it, you can read about, read about it in Exodus 21, verse 10 and 11. And this is kind of another core passage when it talks about divorce in the Bible. It's this, that if a husband um, is no longer faithful to his wife, whether that's sexually or caring for her or protecting her, it talks about how he has lost faith with his wife. And so he's, he's, he's basically uh, divorced himself from her. And if he's taken on another wife, um, the issue is he still has to care for his previous, his wife, the, the, the one he's walked away from, the one that he's broken faith with. He still has to care for her because she's left in the world. And Jesus, God does not want, he cares about the women. He does not want them to be um, un, uh, uncared for in that sense. And so there was a, a payment that had to be made and, and made sure that you know, her needs were met and her clothing was provided, shelter was provided. So it became a very costly um, uh, endeavor to go through a d- divorce. And so the guys were saying, there's got to be a cheaper way. Now I'm going into a little bit of detail, but I think this will help you understand the concept. The guys are saying there's got to be a cheaper way to get a divorce. And so um, what they did is they went back to Deuteronomy 24 and they said, well, when, when Moses, the law of Moses permitted divorce, it was um, for a cause of indecency. And when you hear that, cause of indecency, you think to yourself, well, that must be like sexual immorality. Um, And yes, that's a part of it. But they're thinking, well, you know, if you're looking for a loophole, you can kind of, kind of expand definitions of things, right? So they're saying a cause, hmm, what could be a cause of indecency? And so guys started getting really creative in terms of what could be a cause of indecency so that they could have a divorce and not have to pay the spouse. Do you, do you follow me, what I'm doing, saying? So they would, they would come up with all sorts of creative causes. Well, hey, the dinner is spoiled. You know, so, hey, that is an indecent meal. And so this is a cause for indecency. Or, you know, hey, your hair isn't looking good. That's indecent. This is a cause for indecency. So out with you. One of the more famous ones is uh, the, the, the spouse talked too loud. Well, that's indecent. It's a cause for indecency. And so they could come up with all sorts of things. Oh, the spouse is not a, a Wazoo football fan. It's ca- okay, I'm just checking. Make sure that you're with me, okay? But they, they'd come up with all sorts of things, and any, anything that they could come up with to say, okay, now this is a cause of indecency. I can issue this certificate of divorce, and I don't have to pay. So again, it was a loophole to say, I want to get out of the marriage. I want to get out of it cheaply. And so again, Jesus is saying, put all these things into protection, but of course, they're trying to work their way around it. So that's the scenario that's going on here um, and, and why, why it's important to get it. Now, I just will say this, of course, this is the time of the talk where I say that divorce is a real problem in our society. But my guess is you've already figured that out. See, there's not a single person here who hasn't been touched by divorce at some level in some way. And we all know the, the challenge that that can create and the different uh, 
things that that comes with it. And so I don't need to detail that. You know it. Um, and it was a problem then. It was a problem now. And so that, that's what, what, what we need to hear. The question then is, well, what, what is it Je- that Jesus wants to say? And the next verse is this. Um, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So then the 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 word here for, uh, he says, anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality. The, the word there is por- porneus. So he's simply saying, listen, let's go back to Deuteronomy 24. The cause for indecency, this is what it was talking about. And so he gets back to, here, let me clarify things for you. Because they're saying, well, can't I divorce for any cause? And if you remember a little bit later in Scripture, there was a bunch of Pharisees, teachers of the law, that came to Jesus and they said, can a man divorce a wife for any cause? That's what's going on here. They're looking for any and every reason to be divorced. And Jesus says, no, listen, here's the point. Jesus is saying, stop looking for ways to get out of your marriage, trying to leave it, focus on how you can make your marriage last. That's his whole point. His whole point is not trying to wiggle your way out. Instead, say, hey, I want you to say, how can I work to make this marriage last? That's, that's, that's what Jesus is getting at. That's, that's the whole idea, and it's important for us to hear um, and wh- why he's saying it and what he's saying. And so, um, again, he, he wants us to understand this is the heart, this is the desire. He's, he's um, asking us to look for those ways to be faithful. Now, let me just say this again. Um, this is not something that you can accomplish by your own willpower. This is also another area where you have to say, okay, God, if this is going to work, if I'm going to make this marriage last, this is not something that's just going to be willpower alone. And that's important for us to hear. Now, um, the, next, the next part that I want you to see is this. The third, the third area of faithfulness that Jesus is talking about here is being faithful in our meaning. Faithful in our morals, faithful in our marriage, and faithful in our meaning. Meaning what we say. That's what he's talking about here. In verse 33, it says this. Again, you have heard um, that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows that you have made. So another Old Testament command. He's saying, hey, when you make an oath, um, keep it. That's the whole point. When you make an oath, uh, you would, it would even say, you know, do it to the Lord as a way to say, yeah, I'm going to stick with the truth. I'm going to stick with what I'm saying. That's what he's saying. So be truthful with your words. Um, and, that, and, and that's important for us to hear. Then Jesus says in verse 34, But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne. Um, let's, let's go to the next verse. Or by the earth, for it is the footstool, footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. So what, what Jesus is saying here. Is, um, is this. And this is kind of, again, a problem that they were facing at this time. The command was to keep your oaths and keep your oaths to the Lord. Now, what, they were, what people were kind of doing, some rabbis, not all of them, but many rabbis were saying, well, you know, we're, if I make an oath, that is a vow, a statement. Um, if I say it to the Lord, man, that's really binding. But if I make a statement, an oath, and it's not to the Lord, then it's not as binding, right? They're looking for a way out 
a way to be not quite as truthful, not hold to our vows as strongly. So they, they, instead of saying, you know, this is to the Lord, it's, it's in front of the Lord. And so that had loosens it up a little bit, like gives them a little wiggle room. Or it says, you know, instead of, instead of this is a vow that I'm making to God, it's a vow that I'm making to Jerusalem. And it's like, it's kind of a way of saying, eh, it gives me some wiggle room, a little bit of an out. And so this is the, the issue that's going on here. Now, this is the time in my talk where I tell you that we live in a world that has a little bit of a, a truth-telling problem. Amen? <laughs> but you've probably already figured that out, that we have a shortage of telling the truth. And we see that from the top down. We see it all over the place. And part of that is because of us. We're pretty good at not telling the truth. We're pretty good at lying, whether we like to admit it or not. We have a truth-telling problem. And so Jesus is just simply saying something that we already know that is true. We, we struggle with in terms of our faithfulness with our words. And so he says, he says this, and do not swear by your head. Um, uh, you cannot make it even, even one hair white or black. So this is kind of the idea of your head represents your life. Don't swear on your life because it's not yours to, to you know, put out as collateral. You don't control it. You don't control whether your hair, whatever your, you know, what color your hair is. This isn't for you to control. So he's saying, listen, just simply tell the truth. And, and this is why it's important. Now, the problem, we, reason why this is a problem in our, in, our, in our culture, in our society for us is because um, we do do this. You're saying, well, I don't know if I swear by Jerusalem or by my head or all those things, but we do it. We do it. Ask any cop here. Ask any cop. The cop pulls someone over and he, he says to the lady, hey, ma'am, may I look in your purse? Looks in the purse, finds drugs. All of a sudden, the lady's like, she starts swearing. She's like, yeah, I swear. I swear, I swear to God. And it's like, oh my, oh my goodness, you know, look at the spiritual devotion, look at the, the, the centeredness. Like, I swear to God, I, those aren't my drugs. And it's like, okay, sure, of course. I mean, what you were saying before, that wasn't truthful, but you sweared to God, this, you, this is true now. And then the search goes a little further and they find a gun. And, and, and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, 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 I swear on my life, I've never seen this gun before. I swear it's not there. It's like, okay, well, you must be innocent. Go ahead and go free, right? You swore on your life. That's it. And you're saying, well, I don't do drugs and I don't do the gun thing. But listen, when the officer pulls you over and you say, I swear, I didn't know I was speeding. <laughs> that much, right? You, you, we, get, we get this right? in lots of different ways where we say, ah, the truth, it's challenging, right? And he's just simply saying, hey, listen, do not swear and not keep it. Keep your word. And don't, don't kind of fudge things um, because you can. You know, we started really early on this. When we were kids, we used to cross our fingers, right? right? If I say it, my fingers cross, it changes everything. I don't have to hold to my promise. And we do this throughout our lives. We say, oh, you don't have a receipt for that? Okay, go ahead. Guess what? Go ahead and take it to that store. All the stores are the same. They'll give you your money back. Just return it there. No receipt. Doesn't matter. Just tell them you bought it there. You'll get your money. Well, okay, that sounds good. I'll do that, right? No, that's not right. But that's the temptation that we've all fall into. It's like, well, you know, if I, um, you know, I, of course, what are you telling me to say? Well, you know, of course, if I, I, I said that, but I didn't put it in writing, you know, so it's not really the same. I mean, what I say, 
You know, that's one thing. But if it's in writing, yes, then I'll follow through. This is the whole point. It's like, hey, Jesus is simply saying this is a problem of faithfulness with our meaning, what we are saying. And so this is what he's, he's getting at. The, 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 the verse that he, the, what he says this, it says, all you need to say is simply yes or no. This is that famous passage, let your yes be yes and your no be no. He says simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So he's saying, listen, you just need to be faithful with your words. Faithful with your words. Now, um, this means, um, of course, you know, the application for all fishermen is, you're, you know, be honest about the size of that fish, right? <laughs> that's the whole point. And that's really hard for fishermen. I get it, okay? It's, it's, simple. it's things like, you know, if you're not the star of the story, don't present yourself as the star of the story. Just be honest. Don't say, well, this is what I told them. When in reality, it's what you wish you told them. Right? But we do things like that. So he's simply saying, let your yes and no's be it. This is what he's getting at. And this is a challenge. And let me say this. Can I say this to you? It's going to take more than just willpower to do that. Because here's what I've learned. People who lie are good at lying. And it's a challenge. And if we could fix it by willpower, we would have, but we can't. So there's real challenges here. Jesus is talking about walking faithfully. And let me just look, at, look back over them with you just for a moment and give you kind of a one-word uh, summary of the struggle that we face when it comes to our faithfulness. The first one, when he talks about being faithful in our morals, the challenge for us is our lust. We lust and that's the, the kind of a one-word statement. The second one, faithful in our marriage. The one word here is leave. Leave. And then when it comes to faithful in our meeting, meaning lie. We lie. These are the challenges. These are the struggles that we face. And I guess the, the question is, well, what hope do we have? What hope do we have when we're struggling as lusters and as leavers and as liars? I mean, when, if we struggle with faithfulness there, does God, does God give up on us? Nope. No. Thank you. He doesn't give up on us. In fact, let me tell you a story. The story is this, that when you look at the Old Testament, the story of the Old Testament, when it talks about God and his relationship with his people, the Israelites, of all the different images that God can use and does use to describe his relationship to the Israelites, you want one of the most remarkable images that he uses to, to mark out that relationship? It's marriage. That God made a covenant to his people that he would love them and he would care for them, that he would walk with them, that he would protect them and cherish them, honor them. All the things that we say in our vows of marriage too. And the, the, the hope would be, of course, that as, as a result of his love, that, that we, that his people would respond to his love in return. But do you know the story of the Old Testament? The story of the Old Testament is this, that God's people, Israel, gave themselves over to idolatry. That they chased after false gods. In fact, the image that is talked about in the Old Testament, if you're familiar with it, it, it talks about how they um, committed adultery, that they lusted after false gods. 
And then as a result of their lusting, they ended up leaving the relationship with God to follow these false gods. And then when God sent the prophets to confront them on it, guess what they did? They lied about it. So we have the Israelites, their lusters, their leavers, and their liars. So what does God do about it? It's interesting. And if you're in a life group this week, you'll talk about this passage. The passage in, found in Jeremiah chapter 3. And in Jeremiah chapter 3, what happens is, it's God talking about his marriage relationship with Israel. But when Israel committed their adulteries and they ran after, they lusted after these false gods, they left and they lied about it. It says in Jeremiah chapter 3 that God issued a certificate of divorce to Israel for her idolatries. Did you know that? God went through a divorce. Just think about that, all of you who are here who have experienced brokenness in your marriage. God has been through a divorce. So God, how do you feel about divorce? Well, in Malachi 2, he says, I hate divorce. And you know what? Pretty much everyone I've talked to who's been through divorce or experienced divorce hates it too. So God, how do you feel? Guess what? God understands the betrayal, the pain, and the heartache of divorce. He knows it to the core. But here's the great news. The great news is this, that God initiated the greatest divorce recovery program ever. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for the faithless Israel and the faithless people of this world who have lusted after other things, have left and have lied about it. He sent Jesus to pay the penalty for the betrayal, for the faithlessness, for the sins, the brokenness of his people so that they could be forgiven and brought back into a right relationship with him. Amen. This is what God did for us through Jesus Christ. He didn't abandon us. In, in fact, when we, when we blow it, when we mess up, when we're unfaithful, God is still faithful to us. We don't have time to look at it, but Hosea chapter 2, it's so great. He talks about how he's so faithful to those who are unfaithful. And at the end of things, when all is accomplished through him, you know what he says? I'm going to marry you for good. He wants us back. He brings us back and he commits to us again, even when we've been faithless. Why? Because he is faithful. That's who God is. So listen. We're all here. We've all struggled with, with faithfulness challenges. All, every single one of us. And the answer is not, we'll just try harder. Muster it up. Figure it out. We'll power it through. No, the answer is not there because we don't have the power to do it. And this is the beauty of what God has done for us. Because not only did he forgive us and through, through Jesus Christ, then he empowers us through his Holy Spirit so that we can get back on track with him. A new resource, new power, not from our own willpower, but a power that's coming from God so that we can walk faithfully. And then you talk to anyone who over, over time looks back and they've been faithful in their morals, in their marriage, and in their meaning. Guess what they'll say? Look what God did. 
Not look what I did. Look what God did. Those who surrender to his love, his sacrifice, his commitment through the work of Jesus Christ, God can do a new work in you. He can help us to walk faithfully because he is faithful to us. Seems like a good time for us to stop and thank him for his faithfulness. Amen? Okay, let's do that together. God, we do want to stop and just say thank you. Thank you for being faithful to us when we're faithless. Thank you that in those moments when we're struggling, you don't abandon us. You don't leave us there um, in, in, in our struggle, but you've done something for us. You sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. And God, I pray for anyone here who has yet to place their faith in you, that they would turn to you and experience your love, experience your forgiveness, experience your grace. Lord, help us by your power and your strength to walk faithfully in all arenas of our life. We know we're challenged by it, God. And so we, we come to you desperately. We come to you humbly. And we come to you gratefully because in you, we can be different. In you, we can shine. Not because we are great, but because you're great. And we get to reflect that in the relationships around us. God, we thank you for your promises in your name. Amen.